Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Oldham Business Podcast. My name is David Bazanis, and better late than never, this is a weekly podcast that is, so far, it's coming out about once a month. So, I apologize for the delay and uh, putting out the content. We have put a, a few of these in the can, so we have uh, several of these to be able to stay on track with the schedule. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, got a lot of great comments about our conversation with Gant Jones from episode two. And today's episode, we're going to talk to John Stewart in staying with an architecture theme. Uh, John Stewart is the president of Encompass Develop Design Construct, located in beautiful downtown LaGrange. He's involved in many community projects, including uh, the Alley Walk Project in LaGrange. He serves on the Old LaGrange Development Authority. We had a great conversation about leadership styles, about creativity. So sit back and enjoy the show. Okay, folks, thanks for uh, listening today. I've got a couple of announcements before we get to the conversation I had with John Stewart uh, from Encompass. Um, super excited to be enjoying spring weather. I know a lot of people are uh, getting out. We had an event on St. Patrick's Day at City Place, um, and we adhered to the CDC recommend recommendations on social distancing and the amount of people we had in the event, but uh, we really filled up fast. We had about 80 people uh, in Pavilion 2 at City Place, and it was fantastic. Everybody was smiling, and just you could tell the energy was great, that people were glad to get out and actually start networking face-to-face. -face. So hopefully, uh, as people get vaccinated, we can safely move to a normal environment where people are actually uh, connecting face-to-face. -face. Um, it certainly uh, has a big effect in, in all of our lives and, and, and definitely how we do business. So... Um, we're excited about that, and the Chamber is going to try to put together uh, as many events as we can uh, throughout the beautiful weather where we can get together uh, in large herds. Um, <laughs> we have uh, a couple of events coming up. Um, this episode I'm recording, and I'm hoping to get out today, which is Wednesday. Um, Friday, uh, we're, we're having a power hour at Gustavo's in Crestwood. Um, next week, April 16th. Uh, at 9 a.m., uh, and you can attend this via Zoom, or you can come to our office in LaGrange, 204 South First Avenue in LaGrange. We're going to have an EDGE workshop that's sponsored by First National Bank. The EDGE workshop series is something that uh, uh, people have given us a lot of uh, good uh, comments about, so we're trying to continue to, to get this content out for you. Joining us uh, is the number one executive coach in the eastern United States from Soar Hire business coaching. He's an executive coach, I should say, uh, Mr. Jason Ballard. Uh, and Jason is going to be giving a presentation on mastering sales in the new age. So as we are getting into a new world, uh, post-COVID pandemic world, um, Jason's going to take us through some of the tools that uh, we can use to uh, be successful in our sales process. On May 11th, we have a membership orientation uh, where new members, of course, can get acquainted with our chamber programming. But this Member orientation, they're always open to, we have them every other month, um, and anybody is welcome. So a lot of chamber members uh, attend because they either are trying to get re-familiarized with chamber programming uh, or they would like to meet some of the new members. So would uh, love for you to come out uh, in person or in, on Zoom for the member orientation. That's sponsored by Ruth at Keller Williams. Um, fantastic sponsor, great uh, chamber member, and uh, really grateful to Ruth uh, and Keller Williams uh, for sponsoring the membership orientation. Uh, and finally, uh, one of our largest events of the year, August 13th, is our golf scramble. We're already in planning stages. If you would like to include 
um, goodies for the goodie bags or you are interested in sponsorships or playing, you can contact us at the office. Uh, you can contact me at david at oldhamcountychamber.com um, or Heidi, um, our office manager at Heidi at oldhamcountychamber.com. Um, and those are some of the events we have on uh, tap. We're going to continue to put out events. Uh, we're going to get a little creative with it. Uh, prior to July, once July 1st, our fiscal year starts, we're going to go back to our normal calendar of events uh, that we have set and some great programming. Additionally, I'm getting close to making a decision on uh, hiring for a new chamber services director. And this is, a, as everybody knows, is a very uh, important uh, role in our office. Uh, the chamber services director is going to be responsible for implementing all of our programs and our events, uh, connecting with our members and uh, continuing to build the great uh, culture we have here in the business community in Oldham County. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to make an announcement very soon and invite them to join me on the podcast. Um, and finally, I just wanted to uh, thank everyone who has uh, reached out to us and uh, supported the effort. Our office is coming together, uh, and it's, uh, it's really a beautiful space. It's very comfortable to work in. We're acquiring furniture a little bit at a time here, and we're looking forward to, uh, in the late spring, early summer, having a ribbon cutting. Uh, we're currently going through the process of getting quotes to manage the uh, paving of our uh, that we're going to have a new curb cut, great entrance here, and uh, pave the new parking lot. So um, thanks to all of the, the contributors, the, the top investors, the, the elected officials and elect bodies. Uh, the business community has really uh, wrapped their arms around us as a chamber staff and uh, really provided us with a very nice facility. Um, so we're grateful for that, and we just got our new sign out front that looks fantastic. So you can now find us pretty easily um, here in downtown LaGrange. So uh, please join us for that, and we look forward to having a lot of events in our new parking lot, uh, including a beer garden we're planning for Oldham County Day. So with that, I am going to move on to our conversation with John Stewart, and uh, check out the show. Great combo. Hi, everybody. I'm here with John Stewart, uh, who is with Encompass, Develop, Design, and Construct. Is the DDC still part of the name? It's, it is Develop, Design, and Construct. Okay, That's I'm, what we call it. Right. The DDC is easy to remember. The DDC is. What it stands for. I, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> dog, dog, cat. <laughs> but that is our website has the DDC. Now, I met you. Um, we had lunch at Elno Paul in LaGrange many years ago um, with Dina Karam, who was my predecessor here at the chamber. And you were coming from Luckett and Farley. Um, and had just started. I don't know if you had just started, but you were looking for space for Encompass uh, yeah. when you got here. Yeah, we actually started the company in 1999. Okay. And my partner was Luckett and Farley. Okay. Um, I had been an executive there, and um, I I had told told the two owners at the time that I wanted to go out, start my own design build company. We had just come off of doing 750 projects in five years in 43 states and, wow. and uh, managed that work and, and said, and we opened four offices. And then eventually that company we were working for filed bankruptcy. We had to lay off a whole bunch of those people. And so I said, I'm going to start a little design build company. Uh, here's six months notice. And came back the next day and said, why don't you start that business here? And uh, we'll put a little money in the bank, and those, they did. And so we started the business as a wholly owned subsidiary. Oh, wow. And then in uh, 2010, I made an offer to buy Luckin and Farley out of the partnership. They accepted, and that, that's when I came here. Here we look, are. Look for you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how long were you at Luckin and Farley? 
I was there for about 17 years. Did you, and your, uh, your, what did you learn architecture? I, w- I went, well, started at speed school at UofL. And that's your so primary discipline is, is an architecture. architecture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speed school at UofL, started in engineering, um, decided I'd, I wanted to do more, not that engineers aren't creative, but I wanted to do more creative stuff. Um, and I love to build. So I went to a construction technology school, went out to California, went to Eureka, California. Eureka. Yeah. Northern California. And um, professor there said, hey, John, you ought to be an architect. I went to the a lecturer that night and decided that that was probably a good fit for me. This crazy architect that was out in the middle of the desert in Arizona building a bow sphere. And, <laughs> um, but, uh, so when I came back, he said, there's three great architecture schools in the U S and one of them was university of Kentucky. So wow. I took an entrance exam there and, and started that next, uh, started in a summer program there. Wow. So, um, and, the last episode we had Gant Jones on, also yeah. an architect by trade, not um, planned, but just coincidental. Yeah. Um, and so I was asking Gant about, and I'm, I'm the question to you, you know, and you mentioned creativity, and I, and I have written down in my notes here to talk to you about that specifically, because um, it's not that common to come across people that have detail-oriented roles that also happen to be creatives, because those two uh, personality traits can sometimes be uh, work against each other, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I want to go back a little bit to you, that creative kind of inspiration that made you want to do your math homework, right? Yeah. So so yeah. what kind of architecture was inspiring or uh, was, was there a particular type of architect or style or wh- where did you get the, the juice off of when you saw something you were like, man, I want to do that? I think it goes back to when we moved, when I was eight years old or seven years old when my parents moved to, to Pee Wee Valley, Kentucky. And we lived on uh, six acres that had some um, little things like fountains and stuff on it. And uh, they they always gave me the opportunity to, like if there was a plumbing need, they would give me the opportunity to watch the plumber. And then the next time it was me that had to do that work. Oh, wow. And so I learned plumbing. I learned electrical work. I learned how to... Um, put a stud wall up um, from watching a guy. And so when I was 11 years old, uh, uh, I bought a skill saw and I remodeled our basement at 11. And wow. Then I, uh, my grandfather was a big influence on me and he, w- he would give me his old popular science, popular mechanics magazines, and I would read them cover to cover. And I saw one time I saw in there um, build a hovercraft and so, you know, you could buy the kit or I could take apart my, my mother's vacuum cleaner and use that to build the hovercraft. And right. it would, I built one and it worked. And, but I, I got more and more into things I saw and then try to create those. And so I, I saw a hang glider and ordered the plans for a hang glider. I wanted to do that. I wanted to fly, Yeah, you know, and, um, I was always up in some tree somewhere as a kid. And, um, so I, I found old tent poles at, at the house that, and I mean, they just were really discarded tent poles and sewed a couple of sheets together. And so I, lear- I learned how to sew when I was, you know, like 10 years old. And so, um, still love to do that and make my wife. Did stre- it fly dress. or first yeah. broken arm? What? First, first time I got up and it w- I mean, ran down the hill, wouldn't fly. I wouldn't get enough lift. So I figured out I need to sew a piece of plastic in it. So I did that. And my, 
the harness that goes around you was made out of horse bridles that I'd taken apart and just strapped myself in this thing. <laughs> so I run down the hill and going up and I realized I don't know how to fly, but I did get off the ground. So probably got up about 12 feet and it flipped over backwards and I came in the house bleeding, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but I just, I would do things like that. And then I, I built a Tesla coil, you know, one of those things that shocks you and yeah. knock myself out with that on wow. the floor of my workshop. I, Built a little workshop, and so were your parents just like, "We got to feed this kid this stuff," or was it, "We got to get him out of this"? Yeah, no, I mean, you <laughs> know, it was great to have parents that would say, "Yeah, just." So I wanted to. One of the things I wanted to do, we had a small swimming pool, and I wanted to put a solar heater on it. I'd read about solar heaters, and you put some pipe in, and the pump already is there. So put some pipe in, paint it black in a box, and generate heat and heat the pool, and. Uh, so they would let me do things like that and trial and error. And do you have siblings? I do. I have a, a younger brother and younger sister. Okay, so you're the oldest. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. And, yeah. uh, okay, so other creative endeavors outside of architecture around this period. Yeah. Like whether, or not necessarily endeavors. I mean, uh, music or painting, comic books, what yeah. uh, What other types of stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, w- I, would, I would get an encyclopedia and, like, find a um, – a picture of a bird and then I would paint it or draw it. Yeah. And so I would be what I'd be just sitting there, you know, one day thinking I need to be doing something because I was always doing something. So I'd flip open the encyclopedia, whatever animal I came across or house or something, or, you know, a historic house or something, I would draw it or paint it. And so, and I've built a lot in a, you know, some kids would play in a sandbox. I built stuff in a sandbox right. growing up and, <laughs> So um, a lot of that, and I was influenced by, I think, um, the just every time I saw a tree and you know with a weird limb, I'd mm-hmm. try to draw that. So I did, did a lot of drawing and painting. I made furniture. Um, I had a lot of, when, when I was between the age of 12 and 16, I had uh, a lot of commissions for furniture. People would see wow. my parents' you know, kitchen table and say, can you do that? for me and actually Al Early's parents <laughs> bought a kitchen table from me and I uh, have that now in my house when they moved oh, they asked me if I wanted it that's so. awesome but yeah I would do a lot of you know furniture making and stuff and I think part of that using my hands and using also ability to see things dimensionally before they exist um, is what what really kind of got me into architecture I love an architect Frank Lloyd Wright um, actually visited, be- looked at his school out in Arizona before mm-hmm. I decided on um, University of Kentucky. Wow. So, so uh, your siblings, what kind of uh, age difference do you have with them? I mean, are you all close in age or the big gaps? Yeah, my sister's two years younger. My brother's seven years younger. Okay, and uh, d- similar creative flares or completely different flares? We're, we're all different. We ha- we're all driven differently. Uh-huh. Well, we all have some some traits in that, you know, get up early and go do stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah. my, my sister is a nurse. She also has a law degree. She is, uh, <laughs> and she is a traveling nurse. So she loves to travel and go on adventures. And if you ever look at her Facebook page, you'll see, see that she is adventurous. And so if she's not hiking in a mountain one weekend, then on the beach the next, you know, and she doesn't sit on the beach, she's yeah, hiking right. down the beach. <laughs> um, and my brother, um, he is a, a programmer. Uh-huh. And, um, 
he uh, really organized, but he's out, he's building a farm now. So really, yeah. So he has goats and chickens and, um, so really a cool place that, uh, he's built him and his, his wife are doing right now. So, I mean, you know, you've got nature and nurture both at play here, but, um, you know, certainly your parents, I'm sure had, uh, made sure you were all in an environment where you were going to be driven and, and help drive you, but maybe some of the wirings there too. Your mom and dad have similar, um, dispositions? I would say, um, yeah, both of them were really active in the community. My, my dad, uh, he, he was an attorney, um, had a law firm, you know, in, in Louisville, um, practiced, uh, labor law mm-hmm. and would always challenge us to do something a little bit better. And, um, he, he also, I, I tell people, you know, this is something that I don't think I've said to my kids, but I may do that, have, have said something similar. But he would always say, D- if you fell down, is your head bleeding? If it's not bleeding, you need to get up, keep going. Yeah, and that's right. That, you know, if it fell off a horse or fell off a motorcycle or whatever, you keep going. And I think that was part of that was, was you do and you push through it and learned a lot, you know, fr- from sure from having those challenges. And, um, you know, and, and I guess just continuing to pursue the next thing and do it better well i want to go through it's funny i'm i'm sitting it's one of the things i'm adjusting to the here i know you already sort of so i i know all these things about you and we're talking about it but for 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 people that may be listening who don't know who you are i want to just kind of go through a, a list of some things i jotted down that you're involved in um, around here in the community. I'm, I'm definitely coming back to the creative versus analytical pieces yeah. um, and got a couple other uh uh, right, right, and left turns we can make here, but just to give uh, a background here, in addition to being an, uh, a, a serial entrepreneur, <laughs> is how I would, <laughs> how I would describe you, and successful within uh, so many of these areas. Um, in addition to Encompass, uh, which has been a, a top employer here in the county for many years, um, and you know, being involved with our chamber and the top investor program, which is something that we're very grateful for, has always been a big supporter of ours and uh, has presented to our chamber groups. Um, you recently, in 2018, uh, presented on sensory informed design at the uh, 2018 Academy of Neuroscience for Architecture conference at Salk uh, at the Salk Institute in California, right? Right. Um, which you that was uh, you gave a, a, a talk, a chamber talk, OSED talk, uh, for us on the same topic that was very popular, and we had a lot of interesting comments on. Um, you've also, uh, in this age of COVID, I just, uh, liked your, uh, business page for your, um, COVID mask that you had invented that allows for, it's much more comfortable. It allows people to actually see your mouth. So you, they can tell if you're smiling or not, rather than these weird looks you get from people, uh, at the grocery store. It's called, uh, ID view. That's correct. Yeah. Um, uh, masks, uh, that are available for order. It's ID V U E. Uh, masks. So that's something uh, and I definitely want to get into. That was part of uh, me saying, John, please come do the, the podcast. <laughs> I want to talk to you about uh, taking an idea to prototype to market. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, you serve on the Oldham LaGrange Development Authority, which is the board that oversees the Oldham Reserve Development. Um, you are chairing uh, the effort for the downtown uh, LaGrange project. There's an alley walk project that we're going to talk about. We've mentioned on a couple of the podcasts already. Uh, and in addition to that, you're an athlete, too. Um, when I met you, um, in fact, we saw uh, an old chamber um, advertisement we had created, and we had a picture of you and some of your team when you first got here. And, you know, you weren't an out-of-shape guy, 
but you're in like this phenomenal shape now where you're exercising a lot. You're doing these like tough mutter type things and all these various uh, uh, types of uh, marathons. And every time I talk to you, you're going to another part of the country to, to compete. So um, let's start off here. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an example of your daily routine. How do you how do you fill the time on your schedule? Do you have the highlights of here's what my day is going to be when you're filling out your schedule? Or are you the type that is you're going to schedule every second of every waking minute? Well, I've, I've found that I can't schedule every second because there are interruptions. And actually, I've looked look forward to the interruptions, those gaps in my schedule. But I do have, I have a schedule. My assistant, I go over it every Monday morning. We go through for the week, for the next two to three weeks and plan out. There are regular reoccurring meetings that I know that I have, like the older um, right. meetings. And the, I'm, I'm a trustee at a university, so we have regular meetings for that. So those things are on the schedule, and you know we can't move those. Um, and then I, uh, there's a there's a new thing that Outlook has come out with, and it asks you if you want to schedule some things like take a break. And so I've started doing that. And those are those periods where I got interrupted, but I need to return a call that's unrelated to work day. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I get up every morning at 4.30 uh, w- without an alarm. Uh, and I do work out every morning. Yeah. And I know you joined, you joined <laughs> us on one <laughs> of those. Not every morning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I found a group called F3. And we, um, it's just men that are uh, getting up in the morning and realizing that there's a lot of hard things during the day sometimes, a lot of meetings that you really don't want to have to do or things. Right. But hopefully that, that thing you did that morning was the hardest thing you'll do all day. Right. So you've already accomplished that. So the rest of it is, uh, is, is a little uh, less hard, I, I would say. We always work out outside no matter what the weather is, rain and snow and what, what, cold weather, whatever. We, we yeah. do that. That, that starts my day really well. I do have a time, a prayer time in the morning that I spend and do a little study. So I, that part of my day is sacred. The rest of it is filled with work time, family time. You know, if my wife calls me, that comes first um, sure. during the day. And then uh, I try to also schedule some of the evenings or e- either my wife and I have a goals and they, we put them on the, on the wall in the bathroom. So every time I'm brushing my teeth, I'm looking at our our goals, you know, and they, right. they could be individual, like, you know, a race that I have that's coming up in November, or it's uh, one of those things we're going to do um, together, you, you know, or we're working on goals together. But um, I'll look at those goals and say, you know, if, is there something I can do to get today to make, get to work towards that goal? And one of them is we have a date night once a week and plan it. And People say you have to plan a date night. Yeah, we do. And and right. you know, marriage. We're marriage mentors. That's another thing we do. So we're really serious about taking care of our own marriage. Sure, so that, that's important as well. And how many kids do you have? Um, I have four kids. Wow. Yeah. And what um, ages? Like all over the place. The, the gamut of our ages here. The youngest one is seventeen. Okay. And um, he is at Gatton Academy at Western Kentucky University. And the oldest one is a nurse in San Diego. And uh, uh, we have another grandchild on the, on the way. Yeah, so congratulations. We have, yeah, we have four, five grandchildren. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, well, we'll have. okay. So, um, you know, one of the things I love about what we do here is there's a lot of exciting things, but it's a broad plate of um, things that are going on, whether it's meetings or 
businesses to work with or um, chamber members or elected officials or whatever community groups. Um, and it's exciting because the day can go by, every day goes by pretty fast. Um, it's also very easy to stay busy. Um, and that makes it uh, sometimes difficult to get things done because I can procrastinate on something and find something that I think is uh, important to work on. Um, but one of the biggest challenges that I am trying to improve upon is the gear changing between those types of tasks. So when you have an overloaded schedule, when you have a broad uh, skill set and you're applying it in a lot of different areas, do you attribute anything specific to being able to gear change? Do you have any problems doing that? Um, and I mean things as um, as you were walking in and I was finishing up an email that I was coming uh, finishing up, um, I had gotten a phone call that uh, was just asking me to stick something in a weekly update and make a Facebook post uh, on behalf of a community event thing that was coming up. Not a big deal, uh, but can derail me for 15 minutes as far as me just getting back to the headspace I was in for a conversation like this. Um, and that's a pretty regular occurrence all day, every day. For a lot of people, it is. So do you have any secrets to managing those types of uh, situations? Or so I've read a ton of books on time management, um, you know, been to even some seminar stuff on time management and really comes down to prioritizing. So is, is what, is that interruption that I just got to do? I need to take a, a, you know, take care of it right now. Or can I just jot that down on my to-do list? I keep a to-do list that is simple. I mean, there's all kinds of apps out there. I've gone back to, there's, there's a, a Microsoft or Apple has a thing called notes and it's across all your, devices and I just will jot down in there I need to call that person back or something and it it even is a decision on whether it needs to go on the calendar because if it's not on the calendar but it's something I need to do today it says you know this today is this day and I've got to do these three things that's what I have to accomplish today then there's the other things I need to accomplish and what I've tried to do um, is also when I get home and, uh, you know, we have dinner and time after that, I used to sit there with my computer and answer all those emails that I didn't get to during the day. Mm -hmm. And now what I'm doing is blocking out some time for returning those emails or getting those done. The, those things that are truly interruptions and then not constantly. You'll never hear my phone go off. And I, I mean, a lot of people have their phone goes off every time they get an email. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and mine would go off 150 times a day. So I don't have any of those notifications on. If you want to get a hold of me right now, don't email me. Give me right. a call. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting because uh, Sandy and I ha both have Apple Watches, and we receive the same updates a lot. So we are in conversations often, and we're both looking at our – in the middle of a sentence, we're both checking our watch at the same time, which is a real incredible uh, interruption uh, when we're – it's hitting both of us in, in a flow state of a conversation. And so that's uh, that's great advice, taking off notifications. I've, I have a um, had a young lady who was our uh, marketing director. And we're, we're sitting in a meeting one day, and I looked at my watch because of that. I had the same thing. And she looked at me, and she said, you always told us you want us to be candid, and you want us to tell tell you anything we th we're thinking, right? I said, yeah, absolutely. She goes, that's the most annoying thing that you do. 
it makes me feel like you don't have time for me because you're looking at your watch. Literally your watch, of, right. Yeah. Not even checking the time either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, I thought, what great advice. And that day I turned those notifications off my watch as well. And then fired her. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, no. No, I just, I, you know, that's uh, radical candor is what we call it. Do you, that's, if you're going to work in our place, we need to have radical candor. Radical candor. That's a yeah. good, uh, that, yeah. that's a great line. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned goal setting with your spouse, all right? And uh, one of the things I had uh, I wanted to talk about here was kind of um, strategic planning in a smallest sense. Um, obviously, for successful businesses, you're in planning phases uh, very often, um, whether it's new projects or maybe overall um, plans for the future of the business and whatnot. You're also involved uh, working in a very a large group uh, that is trying to put together kind of a tourism attraction for uh, downtown LaGrange, um, which has not been officially named um, and is still in a, a planning phase that you have been leading. Um, but it involves a lot of groups from the Main Street organization to our office here at the chamber, um, LaGrange tourism, the county tourism, uh, the city of LaGrange officials uh, and council people, uh, merchants on Main Street. Yeah. I mean, there's still more planning and zoning. I've been at a lot of these meetings, and so there's a, a kind of a, a glut of large meetings that are, I think, intended to kind of get concepts off the ground. Um, one of those concepts has been this idea of an alley walk, which, um, just for our listeners, the the idea is that there will be alley um, uh, points of interest along uh, some of the alleys in Lagrange. Uh, where the alleys will be cleaned up. There'll be areas for maybe a meditative space, maybe an art installation. Um, we've got these pop-up uh, shop concepts that could be kind of used as incubators to maybe help get some small businesses off the ground here locally, which are really exciting. Um, it's a lot to do, especially the um, execution of it, um, not to mention the funding, which is what we're starting <laughs> to get to right now. Um, but I do know that it's, it's certainly a specific skill set for people to be able to lead those groups to get to a substantive outcome. Um, and being somebody who's in community planning um, all of the time, uh, we see a lot of things that start that get feel good, and then they at some point the wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that process, not from the how do you manage a uh, group. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of books out there. I, w- I would like to know a little bit more about your experience with this specific group um, and maybe areas that could be improved upon, uh, blind spots that could be met, strengths that we have, obviously. Um, I know you'll make it positive. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I do want to kind of understand from a substantive standpoint for people to listen in, um, when they get an idea of, oh, something's going on, oh, it didn't happen, or nobody, people dropped the ball, there's so many fail points that are possible when you deal with large projects and large groups of people. Um, but I want to tie that also to your goal setting that you have with your wife. What similarities would you have when the two of you sit down and you and you set those goals? Are there is there overlap in the concepts of what you're trying to do to go forward? Because I mean, granted, you don't have um, you know 50 people that you're trying to coordinate with, but there there is a here's where we are, here's where we're going to try to get, and then here's what we're going to do to get there, and then we're all going to meet back here and see if everybody did their job, right? Yeah. So I know that's pretty broad uh, opening there. What well, do you think? Yeah. Um, I guess you know. Ever since I was doing those little things, you know, I'm going to do a hovercraft. I could start it and then not finish it, but I would, there would be an unfinished thing there. And I think about that starting um, new businesses and start, you know, the mass project that you mentioned and those kind of things. So I I think in, in life, 
every little thing is a goal. I had to walk over here today. And yeah. what what was I going to do? I put my 60-pound pack on and walked over because I could take a few steps in the sunshine today. The, you know, those goal, small goals. Mm-hmm. And then you, um, when my wife and I, by the way, my wife is great, but she hates doing goal, goal day. Yeah. I reward her with a great meal out somewhere. <laughs> We've done even a weekend together, so we could do it. We do it twice a year now, and she just doesn't like doing doing sure. the cool stuff. But having on the wall, we're able to talk about those things, and and it could be as simple as we have one right now: paint the house. Yeah, you know. Um, so we both know that's in the budget. We both know that's something we're going to do before the end of the year or before the end of the summer. We do put limits on those goals too with time time limits so i think um as we, we, i remember the first time we did that together because i was all I always had my goals i mean that was one of the things i learned really early um my first office was in the caboose that's in peewee valley so, wow and um but that was uh by, by the city of lagrange rented it to me for a dollar a year as long as we took care of it so that was my first <laughs> office and one of the goals that, that was an incubator. I, yeah, well, it was definitely <laughs> definitely was, and uh, it's still you know a CPA office, but um, we we were definitely the first business to use that. You know, it used to be a toy that people climbed on, but I, I think you know even then it would be okay. We need to find people that we can do work for. How do we do that? And so set some strategic goals in the beginning. And I think about this group with the we'll just call it the Alley Walk Project for now. Um, like you said, a lot of moving parts and how do you bring all those people together and then not let it die? Well, first thing I have to do is so the goal is we're going to build this. So the goal is out there and the goal really isn't to build this. The goal is to have um, people come to LaGrange and even even more uh, enhance their experience and they want to go tell stories. And, you know, uh, 20 years from now, it's going to be different for the experience for them than it is you know, two years from now right. or, or a year from now when we have this up and running, you know, the first phase up and running. I think it's to, it's continuing to motivate people and also the, to help them know this isn't John's dream. This is a dream that, that you know, Martin Luther King, great speech, you know, have a dream. Yeah. And um, I think it's that how do we get everybody together have that same dream and know it's not, not just mine, but we're sharing. We're a lot of those meetings have been sharing. Have a dream or have a vision about what this could be, and then when it comes to physically creating those things, what you know, have a dream of a you know incubating some businesses and also enhancing an experience, like a pop up shop, like you mentioned. Well, how does that happen, and how you know how do you manage that? All the different pieces you can't just sure. throw a booth out and say, right? Yeah, anybody want it? Um, I guess you can, but it's <laughs> right. not, not going to go well, probably. <laughs> so it's continuing to, to mold and shape that and make uh, or make sure that everybody has a voice in that. And not that their voice is going to be the direction we take, but that they have input and everybody that wants to has that. And that's like that in every project that we do. We work. W- my job is to serve others through the craft that I, I have. So whether we're designing or building that's what business we're in where we're, we create I've created buildings that have already torn down you know wow. designed built and then torn down buildings to build something else in its place so um, for me it's not about building the building it's about the experience there and then also the experience that people have 
as they they live, work, sleep, sure. worship in those spaces. So. Um, that's re- that's really interesting. I think the one of the reasons that uh, and like I said, I've been involved in a lot of community projects over time. Um, one of my, uh, this is a fairly philosophical point, but um, I mean, it's nothing uh, grand, but I do think it this way a lot is that, you know, for things to, re- for real change that has to happen, it has to happen at the street level. Um, you know, it's so easy for a lot of us to just call meetings and, and pull lots of, of people into a room. But the only way things can really get done is if the people who are uh, going to be benefiting from uh, the any project, that they have to be invested in it. Um, personally, and, and uh, to some end, and one of the things I think that this that's different about this project is because you know you you are a leader behind it, um, who is a community leader, but you don't hold an office. You're not uh, you haven't you're not answering to a board of directors necessarily <laughs> or anything like that. So, um, and you're a merchant on Main Street. Your office is on Main Street. Yeah. Um, you've been in the Main Street district for many years, and then uh, you know been. Uh, you're also you're 3D printing all of the uh, <laughs> yeah, all of the, the the front of the buildings on Main Street, which yeah. I think is amazing. Um, you've opened your business up for uh, the merchants to use when there's an event, uh, those types of things. So I mean, you're um, you're walking the talk, and uh, in in leadership, I think that uh, when people see that, okay, well, John's a busy guy, and he's still making time for and and setting literally taking your staff time to help design some of these um, concepts for us to argue over or, um, you know, uh, make changes to that in any other scenario without somebody like you there, we would be have pay big bucks to have those just that type of work done for us to consider some of the things that we're talking about at this point. So I see it being very effective because um, because you and people like you are, are, are driving it from that from that um, I say the ground level, but I just mean that's where the rubber hit, is hitting the road. And then it allows, I think, a lot of the um, entities who are responsible to help facilitate those things to be a little bit um, uh, more involved um, or, or, or maybe champion in different ways. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's still unwritten. We still have a long way to go. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but I think that the progress is certainly due to the, to the your leadership there. Um, and then coincidentally, we had had a uh, community meeting recently where uh, the mayor had, had uh, invited a bunch of us to be together that was, um, you know, really enjoyed mayor black and the city council have, have made a great effort to say let's look at our systems and our processes and make sure that we're doing this as efficiently and effectively as it can um so that we're being responsive to all the types of businesses that we have in the grange not just bigger businesses or um you know fancy businesses but yeah. everything from a mom and pop shop to somebody who might be working out of their own food truck or thinking about starting a food truck um and so his effort to pull together that group to kind of look and talk about those things can be um very difficult to execute, but uh, I think he had somebody that was going to uh, facilitate the conversation. But as you were walking in, he tapped you and said, "I need you to to run this meeting." Kind of was that basically how? It well, he had asked me um, a couple weeks before, and I said, "Well, maybe I'm not the best person to do this." And he had reached out to somebody else, but no, he had he had asked that, okay. that week. We had we'd met. And but I mean, you yeah. you it was a great approach. Yeah. How you approached? I was very curious on on how the meeting was going to go. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was just, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, kudos to your approach for being able to communicate to that group of the people. And it was a very productive uh, conversation that I think is something we regularly should continue to have. And I think it was informative for a lot of the people there than, and some of them who were merchants or business owners who maybe had some rough uh, scenarios they've had to endure. Yeah. Um, and certainly good for organizations like us and our planning and development office and 
city, uh, county engineers and whatnot to, to hear. It's cool to be part of um, that group, to be able to be part of that. Now, to, just a privilege to be able to sit in there and listen to, you know, what everybody does, the, their jobs every day, and how, you know, look at how do we work better together? How do we make this, um, you know, how do we make life better here in this community, I think, was part of that. And, I, and also kudos to, to Mayor Black for just taking the initiative to set that up. I right. mean, I, you know, it's, right. it's hard to ta- say no to him when he well, has to Well, and I'll tell you something. what, the, the mayor has a lot of energy, and yeah. he is always pushing for, um, you know, the best outcomes for LaGrange. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, that's something that I, I, uh, I really appreciate because I do think that, um, you know, when we, have, when we have so many talented people and creative people and people that love this community, yeah. um, when they're willing to invest their time, um, you know, we end up with special things. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's been something that's been, uh, pretty awesome to, to watch and, and mildly be a part of at this point. Hopefully we'll be able to get uh, a lot more involved here moving forward, but you have carried a lot of that, wa- uh, work forward for us to be able to see, um, you know, what, what's going to happen next. And I think any other scenario we likely would have been trying to fundraise just to put together some sort of a conceptual <laughs> yeah, plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I tell you, you know, that is part of, so this business encompass, um, what was established, as I mentioned, back in 1999 in 2010, when we moved here or in 2011, when we moved business from downtown Louisville to LaGrange, we were in a staff meeting and I think I might've mentioned this uh, to you at one time, but watched a TED talk that one of the leadership tips from one of our guys said, you know, it was a TED talk about, and it was Simon Sinek and he was talking about the why of a business. And I went home that night and wrote down, why does this business exist? And, um, and I wrote them and we have them on our wall, but it doesn't mean anything to put some words on your wall, but it does mean something to be active in, in the community and make a difference and use what we do, which is, you know, design and build stuff, you know, all over the country and some other other countries uh, or we have, but we do that work. But what we what we do with that, you know, what we do with the money we make, what we do with our time and how we budget it, we should be giving back. And that's part of our why is to make a difference in the communities where we live and where we work. So it's not just where, I mean, not all our team members live in LaGrange or live in Oldham County. So we encourage them to make a difference where they they live as well as part of the Wild Encompass. So if we can do that, so the business really does have a why, and it's much bigger than you know what we do is you know or building shareholder value because sure. we, we do some things with our business profits that that probably would you know most people in the corporate world would say that that's just stupid, but right, <laughs> shareholders so, would have different values. Yes, they right? would. Yeah. Um, so. LaGrange has a, a population of approximately 10,000. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is a, this Alley Walk project is, is one of uh, many community-type projects going on right now. Um, it involves a lot of different people and entities and uh, all those things we just said. So there's a culture around it. There's a LaGrange culture, right? Um, we talked to Gant. Gant was joking about how the differences between Crestwood and LaGrange because he's worked on the Maples Park project, and then he and uh, his wife, uh, Sarah, is leading the uh, LaGrange yeah. Springs Park project. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about that. And so LaGrange definitely has a culture. There's there's a, a lot of differences when it comes to uh, LaGrange and Crestwood. Now, I'm not going 
you know, yeah. give me your thoughts <laughs> on the different studios in LaGrange and Crestwood. Um, but you work with a lot of different cultures. In fact, Native American um, and, and casinos are a big part of the business that Encompass has uh, worked with over the years. What's it like... First of all, I mean, it seems like a bit of a specialty, right? Because as you've worked with in the casino business and worked with Native American uh, people, I would imagine you develop a, you know, I kind of get how this works. Is there, what kind of cultural um, differences have there been working with uh, Native American nation, national tribes? Is that, I don't. Yeah, they're tribes and nations. They're, okay. they're sovereign nations. So they, they actually have their own forms of governments and leadership. And some of them have, um, you know, chiefs that, that lead, some of them have, and most most of them have a, a chief, or in the case of like the uh, Akwesasne um, Mohawks, they are the, the St. Regis Mohawks up in upstate New York, they have three chiefs. So you, you when you go in to work with, um, I, I'll never forget, I, our, uh, my good friend, Tom O'Donnell, who is our CEO, um, guy, I asked him to come on board and coach, and that's what everybody calls him as coach. But come on board a few years ago and um, really helped me in business. But also, he had good relationships in in the casino. He used to be a regional president for for Harris, and mm-hmm. so he knew the gaming industry and knows a lot of people in it well. But I, the first time I ever went to meet with the tribe, we were we had done an estimate. And they asked us to come up and, and meet with the council and talk to them about this project. And we had done a budget. They were over budget. They said, come up here and help us get this in the budget. And um, so they saw some value in us. And I called him. And I said, I said, Tom, you know, you've done a lot of work. They, he did. He has done a lot of work with Oneida Nation and um, some other tribes, and so he had some background. Plus, he's a historian, so he knows that side. I said, "What should I do?" He said, "Be yourself." He said, "You know, just look him in the eye and tell the truth, like you always do." <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, I mean, it's that simple. <laughs> be be yourself. So, um, we, that that tribe we developed a great relationship with. We went through. It took about two and a half years to do that project, and. Um, we, we ended up with the entire project, them giving us the entire budget and saying, build this for us. And um, so, so, you know, that once you build trust, and, yeah. and it, I think it's like that in any community, you know, building the trust and building the relationships. And it's not, and trust has to be earned. You don't just, it's not given. I think my, I have a jacket back there that says that. Um, but uh, working, we've been working with the Navajo Nation now for a few years and, you know, the largest land um, land area that any nation has within the United States. They have, you know, Arizona and um, New Mexico and a little sliver of other states. But they, they have, um, we've developed a relationship with their, it's called the Navajo Nation Gaming Enterprise. Well, they build other projects. So we're doing things like we just built a travel plaza for the Navajo Nation Gaming Enterprise. And we talk about Travel Plaza. This is not pilot. This is um, has a full kitchen, has uh, the soda brewing. They brew their own sodas, um, Navajo Fizz. <laughs> they have exhibition cooking there. They have um, a little casino in it. And so it's a lot more. And But what we have to do is learn and respect their um, tradition and history. 
And because they came to us with those travel pods and said, we want this to be a gateway to the Navajo Nation. And when somebody leaves there, we want them to understand more about our culture. So a lot of the design elements have to do with the mountains that range in Flagstaff, Arizona there, the San Francisco peaks or mountain range. So we, um, a lot of what we do is getting to know and understand and just asking tons of questions. And um, it is kind of a niche market uh, because you do need to understand and it helps that I have another business called Encompass Native with my partner who is uh, Cherokee, part of the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. So, um, and he's helped me a lot understand that. Even developing a website and, you know, respecting the Native sure, Americans. Sure, I, I would think there'd be a lot of uh, opportunities to mistakenly offend or, or yeah. something like that. Just, yeah. um, so, um, uh, I, I love, uh, I'm trying to think if I want to go, um, so you're, as you're building your business, as you're uh, working on all these other areas in the community, and then you got Encompass Native, um, then at some point also, you know, we have the COVID uh, hit, which affects everybody's business. Um, you know, you've got a lot of uh, people that work work in an office, so they can work from home. Um, there's people all over the uh, country now who find themselves in home office environments and whatnot. And um, some people will not likely come back to office space because the new model might include several days from home uh, or maybe all days at home. And some people, I think, are going to be um, really adjusting to that. I had a, um, I had briefly left the chamber a few years ago um, and was able to work from my uh, house while I was doing that. I really enjoyed it for what I was doing. It was uh, a, a great fit. Um, and then when we had a transition here in our office during COVID and we just uh, were kind of working from home, it was not, this job is not fun to do from my home <laughs> office. I need to bump into people. Yeah. I need to see them at lunch. And, oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about the, the zoning thing we were talking about or whatever. So, um, you know, that was something that really had to adjust to. But one of your skill sets that you've, um, and I mentioned it here back in 18 when you uh, spoke uh, at the Salk Institute on uh, sensory informed design. Um, the way I understood at the time as you guys were developing, I guess, hotel rooms and whatnot, you were sharing with me some of the, um, subtleties that affect the brain, um, and really impact, I guess, quality of life or maybe your, um, your sensibilities, uh, and, and your mindset. Um, and so now there's people working at home in their home environments and, you know, some people's home environments, their home office, it's not an ideal office environment. Uh, um, can you tell us a little bit about some of those types of things that you were working on for say for like with the hotels, sensory design type concepts? And is there any of that that would be something that just is kind of applicable to, Hey, you find yourself in your home office and you're going, I got to get this office together and make it feel uh, where I can be more productive. Are there any of those uh, kind of tips or things you can say, here's what's something you should consider at your house? There absolutely are. And it, you know, it applies to us every, everywhere we are in the built environment and also in natural environment. And, and what, what I have, I hold two certificates, two certificates in neuroscience for architecture, not bragging about that, but just explaining a little bit about what, what that is or what that means is, that we're, I'm part of a group of architects and neuroscientists that have partnered to really try to understand what goes on in our brain, how does that affect our body, and those feelings you talked about, are, um, what, what, go, what happens and how do we 
form memories around that? How to, you know, when we see something, how do we remember it? And what, where does it go in our brain? So really working together, how do we make space and place better? How do we make it more um, geared towards what the function is of what we're, what we're doing in there, you know, in that, in that place or space, even if it's an outdoor space. So, um, and because we're in the, we work a lot in the hospitality side, restaurants, uh, hotels, casinos, um, or museums, uh, spaces that, that we want people to go back and tell the story about that great experience you had at a restaurant. Um, so understanding that, well, what about how to have a great experience in a work environment and what is that for me? Um, it's not, there's, there are things that apply to all of us. And then there are also, also things that are individual. Like what, what is that when you grew up, where, where was your place? What was that space you felt uh, safe, you know? And, and then we get into more of why did you feel safe there? And then can you recreate that environment so that you feel safe What's that place where if you wanted to read a book, you would go there? Well, we need that kind of focus when we're working a lot of time. So what is that place? I know a lot of writers and creative, uh, you know, painters, they need different places and spaces to do that. So we take that. We, we I take the research that's out there. A lot of it's because it's funded well is on the medical side, like hospital room. You know, what, what about healing? You know, it's as simple as a window with a tree or green outside that you can see. If you're in a hospital bed um, or in a hospital, healing happens faster. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's it's 20 times faster. Sure. So I'll give you another real quick example. So there's a book out called Drunk Tank Pink, like a drunk tank where you put somebody in that's uh-huh. been drunk and needs to go in the tank. But um, they they so there was this jail, and they painted the drunk tank with a white paint but it was over a red paint. So it turned the wall kind of pink. And they noticed that a lot of the folks that were coming in first time offenders and folks that were coming in were a lot calmer than usual. And they like, you think this has anything to do with the color on the wall? So they painted a couple more jail cells pink and they realized this does have an effect. So a study was commissioned to look at that and look at what pink does and then look at what different colors do to us. And it's really, really important if you have a home office environment to pick the color. And you can do this on your own. You can go to Google and say, what do colors mean to me? How, do, how does color affect my brain or, or right. affect, uh, impact me? And um, what they found out, though, is the color pink has, will, will reduce stress levels and reduce that, that anger or, um, by almost 60, 60 to 63%. Wow. So... If you go today in a lot of visitors' locker rooms at a lot of the colleges and, and <laughs> teams, they paint them pink. And um, pe- people may not know why, but now you do. Oh, that's great. But really being conscious of just the colors and the lighting. Lighting is so important. If you can have a window in a space that you're working in, it, that's the, you know schools were designed to be kind of dark, and they're, they're, um, a lot of the older schools especially – a lot of the old schools had a lot of big windows and light and, you know, the high right. ceilings. That's so conducive to learning. So if you're in a learning environment, it's really important that way to to really look at, you know, natural light. There's simple things like that. Move your chair over to a window where in the background you can look out. And, um, you know, just simple things. Yeah. And the ty- type of light that you have in a, sp- in a space is important. 
if you have an LED light, you can have cool light, you can have warm light. And there's a range in there that is really good for you if you're reading a computer screen and you're you know reading a book. Sure. Is it different? So, um, I mean, there's even, there there are things like put a red ball uh, or, or yellow ball, really bright yellow ball or red ball on the table and just think and just see how that changes your environment and put a plant in the room sure. and see what happens oh, there. Plants, man, yeah. plants do make a big difference. That's yeah. something I've picked up on. Uh, and live plants make a big difference. Yes, also. they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really can feel maybe it's the suggestion that they're cleaning the air, but I don't think that it is. that. It's not. No, no, no. There's real if they did a there's been a, a lot of data and research done on this, but they did a study and even a painting. And if you're going to put a painting up and you want a painting that most people will connect to and say, this is, this is that painting that gives me something. Yeah. It mean, yeah. means, you know, and um, there's three elements that need to be in that painting, a live animal, some, you know, tree or greenery and some water. So if you put according to science, according to science, really, there's music, music, huge music application. So if you're sitting in a room and, um, you know, the heating and cooling system goes on, you notice it, but then it, it, you don't notice it again until it goes off. So mm-hmm. our brains are huge filters. We're getting so much information all the time that we have to fill, the brain has to filter out all of it. And there, there's some diseases or some brain disorders that, um, people can't filter that and just uh, so things go mm-hmm. all the spin out, out of control all the time. So we, our brains are, are real filters for that. But music is one of those things. So there, there was a, um, you asked me for example. So this oh, is another it. one. So there, there was, um, the computer programmers got together with musicians and they took and recorded all these songs and then they played them to people and they looked at, put an EEG cap on, that's an electrode cap on people and looked at how the brain activity, listening to these different music, all this different music, put all that data into the computer and said, okay, now com- the computer learning, design me a song, design me music that's going to reduce my stress. It's going to bring my stress level down. So they took all the tailored to you. Tailored to everybody. To everybody. To, okay. Yeah, so okay. it was general population. Okay. I think it was about 1,300 people that they did this with and collected all that data. So uh, all different kinds of music. So listening to certain notes and certain chords and certain you know melodies. And so now there is a playlist of about 12 songs. Uh, the first one being, it's a 16-hour recording. It's on YouTube um, that will reduce your stress by up to 70%, just listening to that. So if you pay, play that in the background, um, and some people say, well, it sounds kind of like spa music. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've, we've learned that you know, some of that music does right. reduce stress. But it's a great playlist. If you want it, I'll, I'll send you a link Yeah, that's incredible. It. No, I want to yeah. look into that. Yeah, that's, so, uh, that's really neat. So having music in your work workspace is, uh, is a good thing. Um, having music that can be really distracting you know, a little bit of kiss in the background right. <laughs> right. probably isn't the right work, work music, but um, also keep keeping that calm. Can you listen to music and work? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Can you listen to music and read? Um, yeah, this kind. Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's kind of ethereal. I'm imagining um, uh, abstract or maybe it uh, is. Okay. Yeah, okay. it is, and it's it's not too abstract that it doesn't get you kind of right. out there. You but know. once you have a melody, you can attach to probably distracting. Yeah, it, w- it would be, but okay. it's it really isn't. It's more of that. It's it's better than white noise, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a lot more calming than white noise is. So. Um, do you play an instrument? I do. What? Piano. Um, still play? Yeah, but it's not good. Often? <laughs> I mean, how often do you play? Oh, I'll sit out every now and then at the keyboard and play. Do you read music or yeah, you, okay. Read, okay. Yeah. What kind of music do you like to play? Um, it's stuff that my grandfather taught me from years and years like ago. Like Great American Songbook type stuff? Yeah, well, like yeah. uh, old standards? Um, Alley Cat. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah right. some, some, he, he was a, a musician and played in a lot of the bars and restaurants around Louisville years. And we'd go to his house and he had a setup. He built an organ and had a piano and had all kinds of other stuff. So, I mean, learned that. And then I took, I don't know how many years of piano lessons, but I learned more from him. Well, I was going to say, so how long uh, lessons were you? What age were you when you were doing lessons? Um, I was in elementary school and I'd ride the bus to the, uh, to a lady's house on Ash Avenue in Pee Wee Valley and, go in she had a big beautiful grand piano and i learned to play a little mozart and beethoven and how many years um, about six years okay yeah, yeah that's a good amount yeah um so was that was there a practice regiment that was required by your parents or did you find yourself practicing uh on your own volition i, I did it on my own and a lot of I, I i will say that's very rare as a former piano <laughs> teacher that is a very rare person <laughs> I just would love to sit down and play stuff that had nothing to do with any of the music I was reading. Right, right. (laughs) Um, Okay, I got one more stop, and then I'll let you out of here. Um, I want to go back to the mask thing. So, um, you know, COVID affected the office environment so much. We just talked a little bit about uh, people moving into home office environments. uh, And and hopefully uh, and likely, I think, coming back to some sort of office environment, what the traditional office is going to be, um, probably a, a thing of the past. Um, although we'll see, yeah. you know, I think how fast we go back to normal will determine that. Right. So, yeah. um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about, uh, one of your other entrepreneurial endeavors with your, the mask, the COVID mask you came up with. So get me to the point where you've got all this free time on your hands and you're sitting around <laughs> and COVID happens and you're looking at this mask and obviously masks are terrible. Uh, nobody likes them, and you're looking at this going, I think I can make a better version of this, right? Yeah. How did that come about? And then the point where you're actually going to make an, take an action to move it forward? Uh, tell me about that. Well, um, my business partner and I in Compass Native were, were just brainstorming a little bit because we had had a couple jobs shut down, and he has another, you know, a few other businesses, and his had been, been shut down as well, and the, uh, some of the jobs that he was working on, you know, everybody, Casinos are shut down a lot of times and, and a lot of the restaurants and the hotels and people weren't spending their capital. So we were saying, what else can we do? And we talked about starting a cleaning company, you know, a disinfecting company. And we realized after we did a lot of research, there's a lot of great ones already out there that are right. already established in relationships. So that was an uphill climb. And so we said, what about doing something on the protective side? Okay, let me interrupt you here. So the the mindset of an entrepreneur <laughs> is there's a problem going on that needs solutions all around it. I wonder what kind of thing I might be able to solve. Is yes. that where you were coming from? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Great, yeah. keep going. I, just, I love it. And, and we're, so we're looking online, and, we, and he said, what if, what if, like, we're in the hospitality side, what if you could actually see people's faces, all these masks that are going on, what if you could see their face? And we started doing some research, and we would look up, and he showed me one that was a mask that was for uh, the deaf and hearing impaired and, but it was ugly. I mean, really ugly. And yeah. they were, they were already on the market, you know, or just getting ready to launch. And so we can do better than this. And so 
if you, I have boxes in my garage of all these. So it wasn't sitting around twiddling my thumbs, but at night after I'd get back home, I would, you've seen those plastic report covers, you know, mm-hmm. well, I, I would cut those out and put them over my face and, you know, strap some straps on and say, okay, now what can I, how can I make this better? So I bought some foam and stuck it on there and we got prototype after prototype and we were making them and we found a company actually. But were you just tinkering or were you, had you already decided you were going to try to come up with a mask? Yeah, we decided, we okay. said, let's do this. That's the direction we're going. Yeah. Okay. We said, let's do it. Okay. Um, you know, we, we're, we're not investing a whole lot of money at this sure, point. Sure. It's just kind of, did you phone try calls. other types of materials before you got to the, the plastic and the foam? Or did you go straight to those? We the most obvious? No, actually, they're, they're <laughs> Walmart sells these little um, sheets of they, they're, they're foam that's real thin, and you can cut it with a knife, and it has an adhesive back. So we were gluing that to it because I wanted something, too, that's, that was aesthetically, you know, fit your face, but it also had some aesthetic qualities to it because those other masks that we'd seen uh, really didn't have any of that. It yeah. was basically a piece of foam stuck on a piece of plastic, and... Um, and it was specifically geared towards the medical community. And we were saying what in hospitality, we need to, you know, do something different. So mm-hmm. we have colorful colors and we're all part of it. So I started making those and we would have, you know, zoom calls and comparing critiquing and sent to him out a couple. And we got a couple other people involved to just speak into this stuff. And what do you think from different perspectives and the, um, we found that he had a friend who was um, an executive in a manufacturing company that manufactured air filters and filters, filtration systems. So we thought, well, these guys probably know that stuff. They have plants all over the world. Let's get a big partner with us and um, to develop this. And so they walked alongside us. We would, you know, do design and do some renderings, and then of the mask product, wear it for a while, see how it fit, what was wrong, what was good. You know, mask fog your glasses sure. up. So we wanted a mask that if people have glasses, and they say forty to fifty percent of people do or wear glasses at some point. So we it wanted us to not fog your glasses. We wanted to not fog. You know, it doesn't do any good if to, you can't see your face or your your mouth if it fogs up. So. Um, and no mask, we said no mask is comfortable, right? You know, this is, then, you know, it's kind of like a pair of glasses. The first time you wear it for a few months and eventually you get used to it. Yeah. So it was, we didn't want to compare it to wearing no mask. We wanted to compare it to wearing a cloth mask. And, sure. Um, and then there's shields and there's little shields that dental hygienists wear and there's shields that flip down that, you know, people don't want to get sprayed in the face with something. Right. Where, and we want we wanted this to be a a mask that was transparent, and um, so worked with this manufacturer. We ended up um, paying for some molds to mold silicone foam or silicone to mold the the perimeter, and then came up a way to get the get the lens in there, and um, what is the straps and even the little buttons on the straps. We wanted those to be a, the straps be adjustable so they were as comfortable as possible, and so. Um, but yeah, I've got boxes of all kinds of stuff. In the middle of that, we started 3D printing uh, a thing that will allow the mask strap to go behind your head, and we gave the, a bunch of those to the hospitals, and you know, so it kind of got involved. But really we, cool. When, at then, what point do you go? This is ready. Let's let's well, get it out. We developed a website. 
um, developed a sales platform. We looked at, did we go to retailers? We, you know, this is for me, developing a product is new, you know, um, I, I built models and other stuff, but never a product. So, and we just, we just had a call a little while ago and talked about lessons learned. What, what would we do different? What will we do different on our next product? And so we're already looking at another evolution of this that is for medical community. And, um, it, we, we, um, they're manufactured, they're designed here, manufactured overseas. And then, uh, we're, we're selling them here in the United States. But, uh, we've been talking with a group out of England that has a worldwide distributorship on some other products. So they, they were looking at picking it up and then a friend I mean, of mine. So, so, uh, so <laughs> the process by which you were going to move forward with the mask what level of planning did you go in? Did you go into full-fledged business plan um, mode? I mean, you've worked in business a long time. You understand some of the fundamentals and, and those things. You get a partner. You can work lean, so you don't necessarily have to create a PowerPoint presentation to get a, a group to go along. But there has to be some of that at some point to get the partnership to or, – or was it a partner you you had already worked with before, and so some of those things were a little easier? So definitely, definitely my partner um, – Chris in, in Oklahoma, he, he and I, we work really well together. So, and we have yeah. a lot of trust. So that was an easy decision. He had a couple other people that I've worked with that, that are our contractors in his organization. So we, we picked them up. So basically we, we split the business four ways and said, okay, we're driving forward. Um, Chris and I have funded most of it and, uh, and you know, we're, we're moving forward with that piece. Sure. It, it's always when you write, write that check. It's always hard, you know. Um, going, what if I don't get this back? You know? Right, right. <laughs> the risk is there, and uh, again, part of the why of both of our businesses is giving back and giving to sure. the you know, community. So, well, that's the money that might have been able to go somewhere else. But we're we're pretty bullish on it. We think that it'll do well. We think that that this round of of mask that we have in. in uh, in a warehouse in Oklahoma. It's going to um, be sold. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is there a, um, well, I ask that because, you know, a lot of people listening, maybe they're working a job, they hate it, they don't want to go to that job anymore, but they've got an idea and they want to move it forward. They've done a little bit more than scribble it on a napkin. Um, and, you know, we, one of the fun parts about what we get to do here is we meet a lot of those people that have those ideas at the ground level. Yeah. And oftentimes there's either not a network that's broad enough to kind of fill in some of those gaps, it sounds like, that you've been able to have with your partnership. Um, but also there's a little bit of just kind of, hey, I get what I'm trying to do here, but all these steps, they're very, um, you know, for example, uh, if it, he tells somebody comes in and they say, "Okay, I've I've got this idea for a mask, and I even have roughed up a prototype on my own with some of my own money." At the point they're going to go try to get a partner to come in and maybe join in a, in investing and moving it to another stage and whatnot. Like, what what are the types of things that you've encountered that people would need um, from a partner level to be able to, um, well, to to join up with somebody that's got the idea? Because there's lots of ideas out there. Getting them off the ground. And, especially that initial capital raise is the hardest part. I think a lot of people go in and there's a bit of ego about this is my product. And I think the thing that I've learned is you got to surround yourself with people that have knowledge that can speak into that stuff and that really know what, what to do, what to take the next steps. I've, I've been blessed enough too on this to say, 
we do, we're going to develop a website, but I've got a team already that can help do that. Right. But you know that I would, anybody that wants to develop a product is find somebody else out there that's doing it. Call them up. If somebody called me and said, Hey, I'm trying to start this business. Will you help me? Actually, I'm talking to my brother about that right now. <laughs> so let me set it up for you. He's got a farm. Let me yeah. set it up for you. Um, and you, because I actually have a little box, I call it my box, but a box that I, I created that has everything you need to start a business in Kentucky, a small business in Kentucky, all the forms, all the email addresses. I mean, the, um, the websites for, for all the forms, everything there, or you could come to the chamber and they'll That's do, right. they'll help go do that too. <laughs> right. There's just so many resources. Sure. I think some people are scared to get, you know, give the idea away or, you know, yeah. Um, we do have a patent pending on this. So that was another thing that this large company was able to help us do. Right. Is they've got patent attorneys. Right. I, I can't afford to just, you know, write a check for a patent attorney for this thing that might not work. But they were willing to help us do that. Sure. So, but Well, um, man, I think that's a really great point. The, the and, I, and, and in fact, to be an entrepreneur, you have to have some confidence in yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do. It's like a yeah. surgeon that's doubtful. You don't want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got to have somebody that's, you know, they're unafraid to lean forward into uh, the, the going out into the wilderness to, to kill it and drag it home. However, um, part of what goes hand in hand with that uh, mindset sometimes is ownership over the, the, the piece. And then it's, it, as, after you put so much time into concepts or ideas, uh, letting go of that with somebody else's new information uh, can be really difficult. We see that very often. Yeah. Um, did you have to learn to do that, or was that something that was just a natural part of your disposition? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think it's natural. I, I, I love having people around me that will speak into it. I, I don't have a partner, um, business partner in Encompass. Um, I, I have great people at Encompass that can speak to me right. and freely and feel like they're partners and feel like they're part of the business. Um, but at sometimes it makes it a little, little leaner and easier to make a move or make a decision, but I, it's still having that other person or other people there to yeah. speak into you. You know, mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of, you know, you ever watch the show shark tank mm-hmm. and these people walk in with their ideas and, but that person has money to launch you. That person has connections. And so a lot of yeah. times that's who you know. And, uh, you know, I see, I'd go, go for it. That's go right. for it. Just You're not, it. <laughs> it's, you go, what is the worst thing that could happen? That's right. the question that we ask. And, you know, when I go home to my wife and say, hey, hey I've got this other idea. <laughs> she goes, okay. Because, you know, I have another business called Manure Jazz. And yes. it's manure comp- manure processing company. And, um, <laughs> you know, when I came home with her, to her with that, she goes, okay. She allows me a few weeks to talk about something. And then if it's still around, <laughs> then she we get serious about talking about it. But because uh, oh, she, she knows she knows the thing. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right, that's right. Oh, we lose our house. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's one of the uh, great parts about uh, being married is that your spouse has such a sense of, of how you think. Yeah. They can really be your own BS meter. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And she <laughs> definitely is. Yeah, that's right. Emily is. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, John, uh, really grateful for uh, all that you do here in Oldham County and uh, your participation with us here at the Chamber, but also just freeing up some time today to be with us and share your story. I hope you'll be willing to come back and talk to us again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. With that, okay. Uh, John Stewart from Encompass DDC here in LaGrange, Kentucky. See you later.
Well, that was the podcast. Great combo. Love John. Amazing people here in our community doing amazing things. Hope that that was something you took something away with. Um, we want to hear your feedback. Reach out to us at david at oldhamcountychamber.com. Tell me about the types of guests you want to hear, the types of topics you'd like us to talk about. Send us your questions. Send us your criticisms. Just engage with us. Let us know what you're thinking, and uh, we'll try to address it. We're, uh, we're glad that you're here. 